Good morning, Hayden Bible Church. Beautiful singing this morning. What a Savior is our Jesus. That hymn we just gave voice to, Facing a Task Unfinished, really is the heart cry of this last part of Matthew chapter 4 that we turn to this morning. How do we, as a people of God, face this unfinished task? I suppose another way of asking that question would be simply to say, how does God change his world? You look around the world today, you look in our community today, and you see there's much that needs to change. Amen? You look in the mirror sometimes. And you see, there's still some things that need to change. What is this miraculous work of God by which he changes his world and his people? Matthew has been telling us, hasn't he, that the gospel is a a new genesis. It's a new beginning. Uh, The the new creation that Matthew tells us about um, is bringing about a new reality for God's people and God's world, and it's all to do with the work of Jesus Christ. And, And this morning, it's our privilege to turn to Matthew 4, and you've had plenty of time to get there now, right? Um, And with God's help, let's just pay close attention to the work of our King, Jesus, as he begins to establish what he calls the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's, That's our King's cause, by the way, to bring his heavenly kingdom to this earth. And as our King calls his people and commands his people, and commissions his people, we do well to ask ourselves this, church. Are we trusting God's means of changing his world? Are we actively engaged in God's means of changing his world? Or do our hopes and our best energies get directed to human means that have not and will not because they cannot advance God's kingdom. How does God change his world? In Mark chapter 4, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him. From Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Wow. Our king, born into humanity to save his people from their sins, gets straight to work, doesn't he? If your dad or mom taught you to play catch as a youngster, You've surely heard the expression, keep your eye on the ball. Remember that one? And and when you were really young, you thought that that meant to hold the baseball to your eye. You ever seen a kid do that? And then then that's when you learn what a figure of speech is, right? It's an expression. Keep your eye on the ball. Watch the ball. All the way from the hand that throws it. Follow it visually as it flies all the way into your mitt, Lord willing. Well, these verses we've just read aren't to do with baseball, but they do demand that we keep our eye on the king. There's a lot going on here in Matthew 4. A lot of moving parts in Matthew's narrative. Point in fact, uh, he's actually uh, passed over in his narrative almost a year of our Savior's life on earth. Between verse 11 and verse 12, John's gospel tells us that Jesus was at a a wedding in a place called Cana of Galilee and turned water into wine. And, And he had this incredible interaction with one of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He met a woman at a well. In the height of day, when women didn't go to wells, unless they were an outcast in their village, because they were sexually immoral. And he introduced this dear woman to the one who is the living water, who will never thirst. So much has happened. Since Matthew 4.11. And Matthew is helping us keep our eye on the king. And, and this task yet unfinished. The cause of the king. What, what is the king's cause? Well, Jesus is establishing the kingdom of heaven on earth, isn't he? Look at, look at verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What in the world does that mean? Kingdom of heaven. If, if it's at hand, if it's here, because the king is here, um, we need to know what, it, what it's talking about, right? What, it, what is the, the kingdom of heaven? Well, think of the word kingdom in two parts, king and 
dom or dominion. The kingdom of heaven is, is the dominion of heaven's king. It's where the king's will is obeyed. It's where heaven's king is honored and served and trusted absolutely and instinctively and, and, and gladly by his people. This is the new beginning that God has promised to his elect people. Yahweh's anointed king, Jesus, is bringing all of that into his world and to his people. Heaven's priorities, heaven's relationships, heaven's blessing. What, what a wonder this is, this kingdom of heaven. God is reclaiming his world and his people through the work of his king. Are you hearing this? We could say it more academically, I suppose, and that we wouldn't be injured too terribly if we did. The kingdom of heaven consists of God's people under the reign of God's king, bringing about God's rule over all things for his glory. It's a big, big thing. There's nothing bigger. This new beginning that God has promised to his people. And I want you to notice with me in Matthew 4, it's not done by military power. It's not done by political power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus had been led of the Spirit into the wilderness, and it was in the power of the Spirit that he defeated every temptation the enemy of souls hurled at him. He did that for his people. And, and it's by the Spirit that the king and, by extension, his people. Are you one of his people? It's by the Spirit that the king and his people bring light into darkness and defeat the works of the devil as we await the return of our king. That's our deal, church. We face this task unfinished in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. Anyway, that's, that's the king's cause. Jesus has come to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. The arrival of this kingdom then, says Matthew, is as light breaking into darkness. And its inbreaking occurs exactly the same way and in precisely the same place God said it would all happen through the prophet Isaiah, look at verse 15, Matthew 4. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. That last phrase, Galilee of the Gentiles, circle that in your friend's Bible because they're going to want to come back to this later. Why there? I mean, why is this going on there? Well, the, the quick answer is, is, is you know, kind of like the parent who says, because I said so. We could say, because God said so. What's going on in this part of Israel? Well, Jews and Gentiles live in this part of northern Israel. This, this uh, fishing village, Capernaum in particular, not just Jews. Why does that matter? The kingdom is not promised to Jews alone. 
That this kingdom is to be comprised of, of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And the kingdom, yes, was expressed and typified in ancient Israel for sure. But there's a reason the king's mission comes to this place, this, this Galilee of the Gentiles. Aren't you glad you circled that in your friend's Bible? This is a global kingdom, this kingdom of heaven. God's aim is to reign over a people from all nations, from all people groups, if you wanted to use mission terminology. Verse 16, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. What, what, what in the world is that? It sounds ominous, doesn't it? Well, it is. The prophets, like Isaiah, often spoke of people living in darkness, living in a sort of perpetual night. How many of you know that mankind, men and women like us, born alienated from God as we are, are born in a, in a sort of darkness, spiritual darkness? People living as sinners among other sinners in, in a world blanketed in the darkness of sin's curse. Oh, how people sit in darkness today. Look around you. Do you not see? Of course you do. How dark is this sin? Well, for the sake of context, the, the, the people in Galilee certainly knew of the darkness of political and military aggression directed at them. That's why it's a mixed population in the first place, thanks to the Assyrians and others. And the people knew all about that kind of darkness and had for centuries. But, but it's much more than that. How many of you know sin is not merely a darkness in the, in the aggregate sense? The world's a mess, you know, that's broad perspective. Nations and cultures warring against one another. This darkness is also individual. This darkness is also personal. It affects every person on the planet. A quick example, again for the sake of context... Personal sin, individual sin, how, how dark is it? Well, my goodness, where do you start? It, it's so dark in the life of a fellow named Herod Antipas of Judea that he enticed his niece to marry him about the time of this happening here in Matthew's Gospel, A.D. 27, give or take. And that niece, Herodias, was more than glad to do so. It's just that she had to leave another one of her uncles before she could do so. And John the Baptist spoke boldly and loudly against that incest, that sexual sin, such an offense to God, as all sin is an offense to God. And what happened to John? Well, Matthew says he was, he was imprisoned, and eventually, as you know, he would be beheaded for speaking up for the values of the kingdom, the reign of God among his people, especially the leaders of his people. But here's the thing. 
We don't have to go far back in human history at all to see the darkness of sin in the aggregate, do we? Nations and cultures warring against each other as they are. And we don't have to look far at all or far back at all to see sin's darkness in individuals, whether it's sexual sin, as I mentioned earlier, or the, the sin of ignoring, resisting, even killing off those who stand for righteousness. The church is experiencing this in much of the world today. It isn't just that you speak up and you get a look of disapproval. You get arrested and killed. But here's the thing. Truth be told, we have a bit of that darkness within ourselves, don't we? That's the trouble with the reality of sin. It isn't just to do with those guys. It's to do with us guys. It's to do with you. It's to do with me. And without light, the scripture says, the darkness of divine wrath, judgment, awaits those lost in sin. And and it's into this darkness, says Matthew, a light has come. Jesus is the light promised by the prophet Isaiah. And he's come to the very location prophesied by Isaiah. So Jesus makes Capernaum his Galilean headquarters of sorts, just as was prophesied hundreds of years before. It's almost as if God is in charge of this whole deal, right? Almost. Of course he is. And really, this is where the message starts, okay? Um, Matthew is going to begin to show us how God changes his world. And and before we get into these different points that that, um, I, I hope to bring out, Um, A couple of things. They all start with the letter C. That's neat, isn't it? Uh, We we stand an outside chance of remembering some stuff that way. But, But here's something far more important. The king's cause is advanced only by the king's means. Because we're what we're about to reread is not the way mankind would go about changing the world. This is God's way, not man's way. And we want to be attentive to this. Are his means our means? Or do we seek to bring about change some other way? Notice, first of all, the king's call in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the king's call to his people. Jesus calls his people to repentance and allegiance to him. Let me ask you something. Have you heard and heeded this call? You have a sense of what this is. Or are you, turning, are you turning from sin and self and turning to God's king, Jesus, who is your only shelter from the wrath of God's judgment to come? Or are you a church person who's just been adding Jesus to whatever else you've got going on in life? 
Remember, to repent is to change allegiances. In other words, there are no tweeners in the kingdom of heaven. You're in or you're not, says who? Says God. And so the king's call is to turn from sin to God, turn to God's means of rescue from his wrath for sin. Turn to the work of Christ. The Savior who came to live for you, the life you owe to God and have not lived. The Savior who came to die for you on that cross and atone for your sins to win your liberation from the wrath of God and bondage to sin. The Savior who not only died but rose again, amen, in in the power of an everlasting life, imparting this life, the very life of God, to his people. You're either in the kingdom or you're in the kingdom of darkness. So you might just consider which kingdom does your life suggest you belong to? Is your life one in which the will of God dominates? That's a work of the Spirit, isn't it? Does King Jesus have dominion in your life? In other words, has the kingdom of heaven broke into the darkness of your life? I wonder, friend, if you might hear the call of the king even today and confess your sinfulness before God. And you wonder if he'll have you. Let me tell you, he'll have you. Turn to Christ. Surrender to his grace. The kingdom is here, Jesus says, because I am here. The king is here. And he's come to save his people from their sins. Now, you still listening? What a curious thing this is, really, because God is reclaiming his world and his people from the ravages of sin. There's no political action committee formed. And in fact, I read ahead quite a bit. And I didn't find one instance of it. There's no military muscle being flexed, although some had that idea. There's no bunkers being dug. There's no protests being organized. There are no self-help blogs being written, how to polish yourself up for God. In fact, there are no man-made, man-enabled schemes to improve the planet or its people in God's approach to this whole thing. There is simply preaching or proclaiming or heralding this call to repentance and surrender to the king. And what happens? Well, look at the next verses. Verse 18, the king's people hear and heed his call. And how do we know this? Because they actually obey the king's command. What is the king's command? Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. What's the king's command? Follow me. Follow the king. Listen, the, the Bible knows nothing of a Christian who is not following Jesus. We came up with that. That's, that's not the gospel. A non-following Christian is a contradiction in terms. And the church today, with a little c, Christendom, you might call it, is full of this sort of thing. Belief in Christ is evidenced by following Christ. How do you know if the reign of God has broken into your life? Well, you're following Jesus, aren't you? You've been given a new heart that loves God. You're indwelt with the Spirit of God so that you want to walk in His ways. However imperfectly you'll do that in this life. This is always the nature of those whom Jesus is saving from their sins because it is a work of God. So so Jesus' people don't just name him, they follow him. His active obedience is more and more reflected in the active obedience of his people. As Jesus walked in the Spirit, in his humanity, so in our humanity, which is what we have, we walk in the Spirit. Amen? As Jesus lived for the glory of the Father, so his people more and more live for the glory of the Father. As Jesus obeyed the will of the Father, so his people more and more obey the will of the Father. And listen, As Jesus advanced the kingdom, so do his people. I suppose there's another way you could look at this. How do I know I'm following Jesus? Well, well, you might just consider, you know, where do people end up when they follow me? I I don't mean following me to this building. I, I mean following me in the sense of the path upon which I live out my life, the path that reveals my priorities and my affections and my, the things I care about, the, the things I don't particularly care about. Parents and grandparents think about this. The reign of God, the, 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 the dominion of the king has a fragrance to it, doesn't it? it, it it's not a generic theological thing only. It's personal. And it's practical, just as it was personal and practical for these men whom Jesus called, whom Jesus commanded, and they left their nets, and they followed him. I suppose you could say it's the difference between being the church and simply going to church. What is this kingdom? 
whose gates of righteousness are entered by repentance and faith in the king. Well, Jesus is going to teach us, beginning in Matthew 5, that this kingdom belongs to those who are poor in spirit, humble, contrite before God. The kingdom's blessed citizens are those who are willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. The kingdom belongs only to those whose righteousness exceeds that of the hypocritical scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day. He said they were like whitewashed tombs. Why? Because they, they were all pretty and religious on the outside, but rotten to the core. They, they loved rituals and rules about God. And they sang all the songs, but they didn't actually love God. And they didn't love people made in the image of God. That'll never do, says the king. Unless you come to Christ with with this surrendering love as a little child, humble, dependent, needy, you'll not enter the kingdom. But here's the thing. You look around the world today and you think to yourself, well, where is this kingdom of heaven? Where is this inbreaking of God's light into darkness? Because I see a lot of darkness. Well, it could be what we're choosing to look at. Because if you look at the family of God, the church, you see the kingdom of heaven. You, you, you see the, the, the inbreaking of light, salvation, Righteousness among the people of God. Is it perfect? No, we are not perfect, are we? You should say amen to that. But, but we're being perfected by God's grace, aren't we? So the kingdom exists now in the heart of every man and woman surrendered to the king. And there is a day certain this kingdom will have advanced to every corner of planet Earth. And what do I mean by that? Well, not everybody will be saved. Don't think that. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way into the kingdom. How narrow? It's as narrow as the cross of Jesus. Have you been to this cross where God's love for sinners like you ran red? How difficult, so, so difficult it must be a new birth brought about by the Spirit of God. But the gospel call will reach all of God's elect. The king will save all of his people from their sins. Do you believe this? The thing of it is, friends, is a lot of us live as if we don't believe it. A lot of Eeyores. Oh, bother. The kingdom advances, and it advances only by God's means. And that that brings us to the king's commission. And we're almost done with our words beginning with C, so don't, don't despair. Look at verse 19. Follow me, says Jesus, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Verse 22, and immediately they left their boat and their father 
and followed Jesus. What, what's the, the king's commission? He, he commands us to follow him. And as we follow him, he makes us fishers of men and women. Do you realize that this is not extra credit Christianity? This is what it is to be a child of the kingdom. To be one in whom the brightness of the kingdom of heaven has burst into. You look around the world and you see the darkness and you realize that it isn't just systems and and cultures and, and nations. It's people made in the image of God who are perishing without light, without hope. And so the king's commission is to make known the gospel of the kingdom. Now that's a really big statement. I mean, it's a broad thing because it, it, it takes in more than, than simply sharing gospel truth with others, although that is critical that we do so. Jesus, at, at, at the end of Matthew's gospel, will, will say, go and make disciples. Get involved in the lives of other people for kingdom purposes. Leading others to repent and follow the king. But, but, but please don't miss this, church. This world-saving mission, says the scripture, will succeed. It's not a maybe. It's not a hopefully it all works out. This is a promise of God who has ordained this new beginning that requires a new exodus, calling his, his people out of bondage to sin. But I, you know, I, I, never, I never want you to take my word for it. Listen, listen to our king, Matthew 24, 14. He says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. What must happen before the end? Well, there's going to have to be an Antichrist, isn't there? And we're not sure if it's the Pope or if it's the president of Egypt or if it's our next-door neighbor, um, but, but we know that has to happen. Well, the Scripture does speak of an Antichrist, doesn't it? For sure. What has to happen before the end comes? Well, we're, we're going to have to have another Republican president, I'll tell you that. I mean, good heavens, wait, you, you hate to finish this way, wouldn't you? Do you, you know, do you know why nobody should be laughing? Because a lot of us live that way. A lot of us live that way. God forgive us for having such a small view of our God and such a high view of ourselves. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. How long will God allow such darkness to exist around us? Do you ever ask yourself that? Assassinations, wars, famines, babies murdered by people who applaud it as a basic human right. 
And then get mad when that right is taken away. Sexual perversion, we've run out of different ways of describing that. The worship of money and self and stuff, anything but God. How long will God allow this to happen? And what will prevent it from prevailing? Well, a stronger political movement, maybe a a new moral majority. Self-help schemes, no, says the scripture, the end comes, meaning the kingdom in its fullness will be manifest permanently and evil judged eternally when the gospel of the kingdom has reached all the world. We go to all the world with kingdom hope, kingdom hearts unfurled. No other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord. Really? I mean, evangelism? Disciple-making? The gospel lived out and proclaimed with our lives? Surely that's not as productive as those other means. Not so fast, says the king. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, Jesus says. Its advance seems slow. Imperceptible sometimes. How slow is it? One heart at a time surrendering to the king. That slow. But be sure of this. The kingdom's advance is relentless and it is certain. So... Um, how do you end this thing? And I don't mean we're terribly close to ending, but, but I'm starting to think that way. For instance, for instance, the team that just returned from Coram, Montana, um, was building the kingdom of heaven. When you join us at the park here in Hayden in a couple of weeks, are you going to do this? For, for Hayden days, to hand out Bibles and invitations to family Bible school in, in August. You, you'll be advancing the kingdom of heaven. It seems so ordinary, doesn't it? Parents, let me just encourage you and affirm you. Your diligence in raising your kids uh, around the word of God, in the ways of God, leading them to, to, to live out faith in God, you are doing the difficult work of advancing the kingdom of heaven. Husbands and wives, when, when God's reign in your marriage is more important than your rule and your way in your marriage, you are advancing the kingdom of heaven. Says who? Says Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount. Now let me just clarify something. Because I get asked this. Some of you worry. When I mention things like politics. And activism. And and, and retreating from the world and so forth. That maybe um, either myself. Or maybe all of the elders of this church. um, Somehow dislike politics. Or think Christians shouldn't be involved 
in politics and government and all of that sort of thing. And I want to just tell you that that's not true at all. It's just that it's a question of priorities. You see, the, the, the kingdom of heaven, leaven that it is, permeates every aspect of the lives of God's people. That's what yeast does, right? And so our influence in our communities, that that influence of repentance and faith in Christ and the life that flows out of that is meant to be a palpable influence. Jesus will say, hey, uh, you are the salt of the earth. You you are the light of the world, a a city on a hill shining the light of God's grace and righteousness for all to see. That's the church being the church. So don't misunderstand. We, We are meant to be good stewards of all of the means that God allows us to have to influence our community for the cause of Christ. Amen? Citizens of heaven are always the best citizens in their community. And we need this reminder that we get from Matthew's gospel that the darkness will fight back. We're going to get hurt and slandered and mocked and jailed and deprived. Just ask John the Baptist, whose suffering paled in comparison to that of our king. And if it all seems a bit backward to you, contrary to feeling and human nature, it's because it is. It is gloriously upside down, this wonderful work of God in his gospel. Think of it this way. Jesus' mightiest victory is when he suffered and died for his people because it is in the life and death and resurrection of Christ that sin and death are defeated, that God's people are liberated from the chains that bind us to the enemy of souls. And there is no darkness, there is no darkness that can withstand the kingdom of heaven from breaking in and bringing light. Call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. So the gospel is primary. And and as a church, we don't want to get that backward and start going down the road of putting our hope and, and best energies into lesser things. You still listening? It's always a it's always a mistake to say um, in closing. But, but let me just say this. We, we've covered a lot of ground, right? The, the king's cause, the king's call, the king's command and commission. And I, and I did warn you uh, that all of those words start with the letter C. Um, but, but let me just say this before we close. And I really do mean it. Um, our best days are always ahead of us. Do you believe that? And I, I want you to notice a little preview that Matthew gives to where this is all going. Look at verse 23. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, 
healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Why do we need to know that, that Jesus went about healing as he is so described here, casting out demons, curing mental illness, all of that sort of thing. Well, surely we need to know that this Jesus is God who has full authority, full power uh, over sin and sin's curse. He's come to destroy the works of the devil. And his power is always present to heal. Does he always ordain to heal? The way we want to see that healing? Not always, does he? But his power is present to heal. Matthew, though, is giving a taste to us of the kingdom in its fullness. Do you realize that the kingdom in its fullness, when it's all said and done, there aren't going to be diseases like cancer. There's not going to be MS Parkinson's, there will not be mental illness, broken relationships, disordered desires, demon possession. The kingdom in its fullness will be completely absent such things. What is the kingdom? It's the dominion of God, enjoyed by his people, advanced by his people in the power of the spirit today. And the kingdom in its fullness is nothing less than this new creation, this new beginning that Matthew is telling us of. The king's new creation, a world and a people restored to God. Here's the point. We're meant to think about the future we're living toward. Do you ever do that? Think about the future you're living toward as a child of God. Do you see how hopeful this is? Do you see see how annoying this is to the rest of the world? Why are you Christians so full of joy all the time? It's almost as if you think life's going to get better. One day the prayer that our king teaches his disciples will be answered in the fullest sense. We call it the Lord's Prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, if, if and when you die physically or I die physically before the return of Christ, we will fly away to heaven. And we're going to sing about that and we're going to be very happy about it. But as you're happy about it, there's more. There's more. Because that's really not even the end of the story. One day the reign of God in his world and among his people will be fully restored forever. We're living toward a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness reigns. That, That is our future. His kingdom will come. His will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. May God give us grace.
to keep our eye on the king. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this hopeful glimpse of your power and your purpose to rescue your people, people like us. The certainty of your remaking your world for your glory and letting us not only enjoy that world, but enjoy you forever. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Lord, we ask you for grace that we would keep our gaze on you, that we'd not be distracted by the numerous lesser things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.